Thank you, everyone, for coming. Well, full packed. Uh, my name is Roy Benalta. I'm, uh, I've been with Amazon Web Services for four plus years. I started at Amazon as a solution architect, a pseudo data engineer, data scientist, working on different technology on AWS. Um, and today I'm, uh, I'm part of our business development group. Um, so we sometimes need to wear suits, <laughs> but uh, we're still techie. Um, and I cover our Kinesis business uh, worldwide. And together with me, we have uh, uh, John Bennett. He's a senior software engineer from Netflix. So welcome for the session. I'm just the opening act. So um, I'm just going to talk about a few words about Amazon Kinesis. I'll ask you some one question. Uh, we'll talk about log analytics use case, because uh, that will be a, a good starting point for Netflix use case of what they do with, with uh, Amazon Kinesis data streams. And if you have time, questions. So I want to ask you a question. Who is here? that sits here, or in the guys on the broadcast, is AWS customer and is not using Kinesis today. Raise your hand. OK. So you're probably all using Kinesis. <laughs> so <laughs> and the reason is that, and, and we were not quite vocal about it, but some of you know, but. Amazon Kinesis was born as a foundation service at AWS, and many of services that they're using today on AWS are built on top of Amazon Kinesis. Last year at reInvent, our AWS metering team talked about how they process 100 million events for metering event on AWS, so every time there is a data transfer in, data transfer out, um, you create an instance, all these events need to be metered, and they're using Kinesis under the hood. If you're using Amazon S3 event, it's use Kinesis. If you're using IAM, CloudBox logs, even other units at Amazon, like Amazon.com, the product catalog, they're using uh, Kinesis. So, so we're all using Kinesis. And the reason I'm mentioning it, because there's no such awareness about, and it's a foundation service. So we are using it for really deal with large scale of uh, uh, streaming data ingestion and processing. And this is a 400 level session, so I'm not going to cover like what is Kinesis, what does it do? I assume that uh, uh, you're familiar. Um, if not, um, happy to talk to you afterwards. Uh, we had several, many sessions. It's a 400 level session, so we're going to dive deep, especially with Bennett, on how to use Kinesis. But really, the notion of, of, of real-time streaming is, is really moving from, from batch to, to uh, uh, stream processing, right? Uh, um, there's a phrase that there is no such thing as nostalgia, right? What happens five days ago, it's, it's history, and you know you tweet something after five minutes, it's historical. And companies today, an organization wants to analyze their business metrics in real time. And when I say real time, near real time, milliseconds, seconds, this is type of the uh, uh, throughput or latency that you want to handle. So, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Amazon Kinesis is, is today's a platform, and to, as you heard uh, at Andix keynotes, we are very happy to announce a general availability of Kinesis video streams. So, there was some rename of the existing Kinesis services. So, we have a Kinesis data streams that you can build your own custom application. For those that are here familiar with Kafka, very similar to the concept, it's just you don't have to paint to manage Zookeeper and all that. So uh, Kinesis Data Stream is a way for you to build multiple application processing data and, and stream. Kinesis Fire, uh, Data Firehose is a service that, if you want, you can just fan out all your data from uh, your Kinesis streams or data that sits in logs um, and ship it today. We have four destinations. Uh, you can fan out the data to Amazon S3. 
you can fan out the data to uh, Amazon Elasticsearch, Amazon Redshift, and at reInvent, we announced also a new destination, which is Splunk. So if you are a startup, you might not use Splunk, but many enterprise organizations are using Splunk, and it's a very popular destination, so you can actually forward the data. Uh, the fourth service is uh, Kinesis Data Analytics. If you want to do some machine learning, like anomaly detection, or you want to build application using SQL language, so you can use uh, uh, Kinesis Data Analytics um, as a way to uh, uh, process the data, aggregate the data. Uh, we had several workshops uh, uh, this week, so hopefully you had the chance to attend. Um, and of course, Kinesis uh, uh, video stream. So yeah, data, we talk about small data sets, but what about video, right? If I want to now take a video and running a deep learning uh, model using TensorFlow, Cafe, MXNet, um, you have Kinesis video streams that allows you to uh, ingest data from video data from millions of IP devices and stream it. Uh, actually, after this session, we have a chalk talk. Um, I will be there again, talk about Kinesis video streams. So I'm just commercial for the next one. But uh, so before we have uh, John on, on stage, uh, wait. Um, I want to emphasize log analytics use case. So, so when Kinesis started back in 2013, uh, we had Kinesis streams, right? You, uh, you have a publisher, you push the data into Kinesis stream, and then you have a consumer using KCL, read the data. But over the years, what we've seen, what customers are doing, using Kinesis for change data capture, taking some events from database, from logs, from telemetry, like IoT devices. And, and log analytics use case is a very uh, uh, popular use case where you want to take application logs, aggregate it, process it, and build your own insight. So what we did this year, we um, created some several solutions that are available for you to use. So for example, if you have CloudTrail cloud uh, event logs, this is an architecture uh, as an example, and I put the URL, so later on when you download, you don't need to take a picture, you can just uh, hit the link. But how you ingest uh, AWS CloudTrail uh, with uh, Amazon uh, CloudWatch uh, trigger, throw your heroes to Kinesis to S3, and you can use uh, Kinesis Data Analytics to build your queries using Lambda function and uh, have a nice dashboard and UI to look at real time um, some dashboard about your application logs. Um, Kinesis has a robust connector library, so you can use Flume, FluentD uh, from the producer side. On the consumer side, uh, you can use Flink, Spark, uh, uh, our own SDK, of course, but uh, one of the popular integrations is with Lambda. Um, so again, it's become trend like, um, even if you're running something on your data center, you have Kinesis agents that you can put, uh, install in your machines and it's listening to a log. Um, we have customers that are using both Kafka and Kinesis. Um, earlier this year, um, actually five months ago, uh, we released an open source on Kinesis, uh, sorry, Kafka to Kinesis connector in GitHub. We're using the Kafka Connect. So for example, if you have a Kafka and you want to listen to a topic and fan out the data to Redshift or to S3, you can use the open source library, just a listener to a topic, and the forwarder, you can stream it through Kinesis uh, to other destinations. So quite excited. So you can use both sometimes where, for example, if you're a Kafka cluster running in your data center, um, you can use Kinesis Firehose just to uh, for this data. So I am a fan of this show. And when me and Bennett talk, uh, sorry, me and John, we talked about the session, I said, you know what? We should call it Stranger Streams, right? Because it's cool. So, uh, and then I said, no, let's do marketing Kinesis Streams. But in short, I'm 
honor and pleasure to introduce John to talk about how Netflix uses uh, Kinesis data streams to analyze seven million plus network events per second, yeah, something like that. So um, that's me, and the stage is yours. Thank you. Thanks, Roy. So up until about uh, several few months ago, uh, when I was on call, there were three questions that I hated getting. What is wrong with a network? God, I hate that one. Right, even if you take uh, seasoned systems engineers, app developers, SREs, and you put them in a room and you try to get down to the bottom of an issue, if things are intermittent or hard to reproduce, right, oftentimes they'll just throw their hands up and go, well, that was a network glitch. Right. And as a network-focused SRE, it's frustrating when we're not actually able to answer these types of questions. But really, what can we do to start chipping away at that? Right, because the second worst question, why is the network so slow? God, even worse. What we find is that even when uh, application developers are building their systems, they may not be familiar with things like network topology or how traffic you know, is shifted around throughout uh, AWS's ecosystem. And they may be taking suboptimal paths, right? They may be going from one region to another without even knowing it. So how do we actually figure out if that's the case? No data. I guess this is more of a comment, less of a, less of a question. My service can't connect to its dependencies. All right, well, for the most part, a lot of application developers don't even know what their full dependency graph looks like. Right, they may know what their like primary and secondary dependencies look like, but do they know their full dependencies? And then how do they know that they can actually are able to connect to that or aren't even set up to do that? All right, one of the things that we've been trying to focus on is what can we do to build some sort of data set that can give us insight into these and start to be able to answer these types of questions. And before I go into that, what I thought is I'd give a little bit of context about what it's like trying to answer these questions at Netflix. So, spoiler alert, uh, Netflix is uh, big. Uh, we have over 100 million subscribers. We're spread across the globe. And uh, every day, we're getting bigger and bigger. Right? And under the hood, there's dozens of accounts, thousands of microservices, and they're all scaling up and down uh, to adjust to uh, diurnal traffic patterns, increasing load, that sort of thing. And I think we actually have it. It's almost over 150,000 instances. I don't know. Uh, but you can kind of see that within our system, things are very, very dynamic. So of course, we've got to make the matters worse, right? <laughs> we have no access to the underlying network. So typically, when you are operating in, say, like a data center environment, you may use data sources like S-Flow or NetFlow to kind of uh, be able to understand network traffic logs. But we can't do that in AWS. Additionally, right, we have this huge volume of network traffic. How do we even begin to deal with billions of flows a day? Right, you're talking gigabytes per second. Not only that, most of our logs end up coming down to, hey, this IP address, talk to this IP address at this time. Right, totally worthless for us. 
Because IPs are assigned dynamically, they're assigned randomly, right? An IP may map to some service called foo at one time, but then maybe further down the line, it gets mapped to, say, a Lambda function. And it's unpredictable on how this IP assignment um, is done within uh, the VPC environment. So what do these traffic logs even mean for us? Fortunately for us, AWS provides this great tool called uh, AWS VPC Flow Logs, and it uh, has like this wide level of coverage. You can uh, basically tap all of the network traffic logs for all of your network interfaces within a VPC. And it's really good because it's consolidated. There's just like a single point to where you can ask for it for data. But just like everything else in life, right, it's not perfect. So even though it has core identifying information like source and destination IP, it's got this 10-minute capture window. So that means that when a traffic flow happens and when you can actually observe it in, our, in your flow logs, there could be up to 10 minutes. Right? Not great if you're trying to do things like really real-time. And of course, even worse, there's no state. So you actually have uh, no idea whether the traffic is going from one IP to another as a request or a response in something like a TCP protocol. We'll actually go a little bit over this uh, later. So just to kind of give you a, a, a better understanding of what that looks like, right? If a log line shows that some source IP is talking to a destination IP at time t, that doesn't really help us because we don't know what those IPs mean at that time. But really what we'd love to turn it into is, can we understand what service is talking to another? Is A talking to B? What accounts do those map to? What zones were they in? Now we're actually mapping these IP addresses to things that are much longer lived than IP addresses, right? Services, accounts, zones, those are long lived, right? They're, they're not a part of something that's constantly changing. So what we want to do was build this data source that can drive this sort of analytical uh, processing so that we understand the kind of dimensions that we care about. Some of them are Netflix centric, some of them are AWS centric, but we want to be able to do like really fast aggregations so we don't have to submit a query and wait minutes or hours for results. These kind of things are uh, what we call OLAP queries, where essentially slicing and dicing and turning this multi-dimensional cube around. And ultimately what we want to do is add this kind of level of observability at a high level for network traffic in our system. And that's why we built this tool called Dredge. What it does is it enriches and aggregates this VPC flow logs into this multi-dimensional network data set. Then we can sort of ask the kind of interesting queries that uh, help us troubleshoot and improve the system and optimize. So early on, we knew that one of the biggest hurdles that we were gonna have to get over was the volume of uh, data, right? How are we gonna get all of these flow logs from all of these accounts, all of these regions, and process them in a timely way that is gonna be useful to us? And that's why we turn to Amazon Kinesis. One of the biggest uh, benefits by using Kinesis is that there's tight integration with other, other services, right? Including VPC flow logs, S3, Elasticsearch, uh, Roy mentioned uh, Redshift. And it can scale, and we don't have to worry about the operational burden of maintaining this stream. At the same time, it provides this great, convenient client library. It's not that much, big of a pain to use. Right? And in the end, it's gonna lower our TCO. And I'll dig into each of these in a bit. So 
in the beginning, we actually had no idea how much traffic we were going to be dealing with. Are we talking megabytes, gigabytes, terabytes? No idea. And so by choosing the Amazon Kinesis family, we were able to experiment with different architectures, different systems to process that data. Right? Were we going to be dealing with it in a batch format? Were we going to be dealing with it streaming? Right? What are, would we even be able to do things in a streaming fashion? And it's really flexible, because now we can actually choose to use maybe Amazon Kinesis Firehose and shoot things to S3 right, so that we can process them out of band. Or we maybe send it out to Elasticsearch so we can do like some sort of intermediate data store and run queries there. That sort of gave us confidence that by processing data in a batch format, we understood more about the requirements if we were going to try and do this in real time. And that's the kind of process that I think uh, most people should go about solving their uh, data processing problems. That way, you can understand what kind of trade-offs there would be versus batch versus real-time. So I mentioned uh, integration with other AWS services. And this diagram kind of shows you how we're able to collect all these flow logs from multiple accounts and regions um, using what we call cross-account log sharing. Right? Every account is generating these flow logs in every region. But we don't have to build a system to deal with each of the logs individually uh, for each account region pair. So what we can do is, while these logs are being published to CloudWatch, we can set up regional destinations right? and have each of those regional destinations forward that data to a single stream. That makes our data processing much simpler. The architecture isn't complicated by the amount of accounts, the amount of regions. Everything ends up being fanning into the single account reg uh, single stream. The cool thing is we actually wrote zero code to do this. Right? This is three API calls. To me, that's a huge win, because now I can focus on processing the data and not shipping it around to where I can eventually process the data. So really big win. I mentioned scale earlier. This is a graph that kind of shows you the level of traffic that's being sent to that centralized Kinesis stream. And this is over a week. So you can see the evident like, diurnal pattern where we're seeing peaks and troughs for uh, every day. And Kinesis has been able to scale with that without a problem. We haven't noticed any issues. One of the things that we thought we were going to have to trade off by adopting Kinesis was how hard is it going to be able to access this data? Right? Typically, there's got to be some catch. Right? Who's gonna, what, what kind of penalty are we going to pay? But actually, the Kinesis client library ended up being a great fit for us. It's convenient. It's simple. Plus, it takes care of all the boring work, things like checkpointing and load balancing. Like, I don't want to have to deal with any of that. Right? That's completely orthogonal to the problem that I'm trying to solve. So that's really where I feel something like Kinesis Firehose and Kinesis Data Streams is really going to shine, right? because it allows you to focus. Right? I don't want to have to deal with handling and operating a stream. Right? I just want to process the data. That's what matters to me. And when we talk about the overall cost of, of ownership, it's very little because, like I said, we're not operating and managing the stream. We're not upgrading and managing patches. We're not troubleshooting the system, making sure that it's highly available. In the end, we just need to use a few utilities to make, be able to scale the stream up and down based on load. And there's definitely an overhead when you end up subscribing to something like Kinesis Firehose. 
because right? things are completely managed. But just like everything else, again, <laughs> kinesis is not perfect. Right? You have limits that are based on shards. So once you start hitting those sort of read-write limits, the first thing you're going to have to do is decide, hey, can I increase the amount of shards to this stream to be able to maintain either the required read limit or the required write um, uh, throughput? And depending on whether the volume of your traffic, that may be either too costly or it may end up complicating things for your system processing. I would say probably the biggest uh, fault for us that makes it not usable in all situations is that there's no uh, log, compassion that, log compaction that's built in to Kinesis. Uh, there is a tool that can archive uh, directly to something like DynamoDB. But by default, you have the seven-day maximum retention period. So if you wanted to have a data stream and, I don't know, you're storing logs, you can only have seven days of logs in that stream. You won't be able to go all the way to the very beginning of time. So you'd have to make that call on whether or not that's going to be important to you. Do you need to access data that's older than a week? That may or may not work for you. So it doesn't really work when we're trying to maybe keep data for much longer than a week. It may end up being uh, months or even years. So I've talked a lot about network data and uh, IP addresses and things like that. Um, I imagine that's probably boring for most of the crowd. Um, <laughs> I think what I'm going to try and do is talk about different patterns that you can use uh, in your own domain that can give you different trade-offs and benefits when it comes to processing uh, large volumes of data in a stream-oriented fashion. So even though I'll continue to use the network traffic log as an example. Um, hopefully, you can apply these same patterns uh, to your own uh, data set. So really, when I talk about taking network traffic logs and making them so that we can actually have more value and they're attached to something like services and accounts, really, that's just a matter of enhancing one data set with another data stream. So say, for instance, you're dealing uh, with like financial transactions. Right, you may have one stream of financial transactions and say another stream of like tax rates. I don't know. Or maybe you're in the IoT space and you have sensor data and you want to be able to marry that with say environmental data. Right, something like that is still applicable here. So just to back up, this is what we're trying to do, right? We have these original flow logs that have a source and destination IP. We need to process them somehow. That's gonna be a lot of hand waving. That's what the red box is for. And out we want is this enriched flow log, right? Beyond these IP addresses, what are the source and destination applications involved in this flow? In this case, it would be foo and bar. So how do we get there? One way to do it is batch. Typically, you'll do some sort of like daily batch interval. And you can judge your batch-oriented system based on how quickly it can churn through like a bounded fixed size input. Right? How, can it, how quickly can it crank through some set amount of data per second? Probably the biggest downside to batch-oriented batch systems is you've got this inherent delay between the time that data is generated and between the time that you've processed the data and now the data is exposed to the user. Right? If you start with 24 hours, it might end up being the case where you're going to process data, and now it's, the value is 
has decayed over time and now it's not really all that useful. Or you may end up reducing that interval to say several hours, but maybe that's not enough. But this is where you should start, right? Because then you can start to build that use case for both the business and the technical that can tell you, hey, this is worth it. I should do this actually faster. Now there's a couple of limitations that apply to batch, even if you're gonna be doing streaming, it's the same thing. One, if you're gonna be connecting to some sort of remote database, you're gonna have to do some sort of network round trip, right? And depending on the volume of data that you're gonna be crunching through, how do you make sure that you can bridge the gap in terms of uh, a request volume? If you're getting, say, millions of events a second, are you gonna be able to do millions of queries a second to a remote database? If not, what are you gonna to have to do to scale that database to make it uh, viable, right? That might be too costly. Or you may end up caching the data, and then you've gotta deal with our favorite problem, right? Cache, cache validation. Or you may end up deciding to store a local copy of the database when you process the data. Right, that's a lot better. The story ends up being much easier to swallow. Because then you don't have to worry about network round trips. You don't have to worry about contending. But this may be difficult to do for you. So let's look at a diagram of how that might look. Over there on the right, what we're talking about is we're capturing these changes in metadata, these metadata change events. And so we're going to store it in some sort of metadata store. So this is where we're sort of storing how metadata is changing for like a given IP. And on the left is where our real focus is at. We're collecting these VPC flow logs. And if you wanted to do it in this batch-oriented process, you could send them all directly to storage. You know, say I'm not gonna do this in real time. We'll just push it to storage and we'll process it out of band. And later on at some interval, I don't know, every day, we'll pick data out of storage, we'll process it, and then we'll enrich it. You could do this, totally. And this is where you should start. And if you want to use AWS uh, tools to be able to do it, right, you could use Amazon Kinesis Firehose, and you could shoot it to, say, an S3 bucket. On the changelog side, maybe you have some custom EC2 instances, and they're shoving its data into, say, like DynamoDB. Ultimately, they get picked up with a batch processor, processor some sort of serverless function, uh, compute on demand like Lambda. And you can send that to where you need to go from there. This is where we started. And one of the things that we found as we were sending data to S3 and processing it with Lambda is the problems that you think you're avoiding by doing things in batch uh, actually end up rearing their heads, but in different ways. Right? Depending on how much you've how much volume of data you're processing and the, the size of your Kinesis stream, you're gonna be firing up a batch processor for every shard. So say you've got hundreds of shards, there's gonna be a lambda function for every single shard. Right? And each lambda function is gonna take away other resources. So things like ENIs, elastic network interfaces, each one's gonna get an IP address, so it's gonna eat into your IP address uh, utilization. And at the same time, you've still got to figure out, hey, how do I know whether or not I'm keeping up with the volume of data that's in this S3 bucket? So this is all, there's these, all these sorts of problems come with this batch oriented process, but it's totally doable, and this is where you need to figure out whether or not these trade-offs are worth it for you. 
Eventually, we evolved from batch, and we moved to streaming. So like I mentioned, the batch process may end up having some sort of interval that's daily, 24 hours. But with streaming, we can get this delay down to somewhere around seven minutes. And that's because of that capture window that I had mentioned a little bit earlier from VPC flow logs. On average, we see data coming in that's maybe about four or five minutes old, and then it takes a couple of minutes to process in our system from end to end. Now we're not dealing with things that are fixed size and bounded. Now we're talking about unbounded, infinite data streams. And you can measure whether or not your system is performing well by measuring how far behind the end of the stream it's at. And all the same limitations apply. Right? If there's a remote database that you need to connect to while processing your data, you still have to bridge that, uh, that volume gap. Or you need to connect to some sort of uh, cache and still deal with cache invalidation or you can have some lo local database uh, replica. So how would that look like compared to our batch system? Now we're going to have the stream processor that's consuming this uh, stream of VPT flow logs. And as it's processing these flows, right, it's going to look into our metadata store to tell us, hey, given this IP address, can you tell me what it mapped to, maps to at this particular time? We still got the same problems. If we're talking millions of VPC flow logs per second, that means we're going to have to do millions of re uh, read queries to this metadata store per second. Right? Not entirely sure that was tenable. And not, it wasn't for us. But if you wanted to use AWS tools to do this, you could still use streams instead of Firehose. You're still processing your change log with EC2 instances. But now you can have this custom Amazon Kinesis application that's processing that stream from Kinesis. Once we got to this point, you might question, hey, if you're heating some remote database and you're worried that the database isn't going to keep up, what do you do? Right? Typically, you'll create some, some sort of index or you'll create a secondary index, something, so that you can, something that's much more read optimized so that it can handle the kind of queries that you're going to send over its way. Or you may end up putting a cache in front of it. Right? That's just another way of taking the original stream of metadata changes and deriving it in such a way that it's optimized for reading. So if you wanted to use AWS tools to do that, everything still applies. You're using Kinesis streams. You're going to process that streaming data. But now in the processor, you're going to actually end up hitting, say, something like a memcached cluster. But how do you deal with cache invalidation? Right? As you're processing the data, really what you want to do is make sure that you're accurately saying, I have this original stream of data. I want to join it with this other stream of data. But if different processes are actually seeing data differently based on when cache validation happens, now you're going to introduce all kinds of inaccuracy into the system. Or actually, what happens when you try to invalidate the cache and that fails? So now you're going to be ending up joining it with another data stream or data, data set on the memcached that's either out of date, completely stale, or inaccurate. And then how do you measure for that and optimize that? Right? That just seems like a whole other can of worms to open that doesn't seem like the problem that you're trying to solve. So one of the key insights that an engineer named uh, Martin Kleppman came up with is that when you look at it, 
All of these things that we do to make databases uh, faster for us to query and perform read, read uh, queries, database indexes, caches, materialized views, these are all derived data. Right? When you think about your database that you're querying, it's receiving, uh, say, a bunch of inserts in some order. And when you query that database, that order and that, of that stream of changes is completely opaque to you. But really, things like indexes and materialized views can all be computed if you were, had access to that stream of data. So they all come from the source of truth. But they're all meant to make it so that we can query this database faster and it's optimized for us to read. So he talks about this thing called change data capture. Right? If you use some sort of log-based message broker like Kinesis or Kafka, you can actually expose that stream of changes to the processor directly instead of forcing them to query some database where that stream of changes is completely uh, uh, missing. It's going to become this first-class citizen now. And so really what we end up doing is we end up consuming multiple streams and joining them together instead of querying a database. So I'll confess, the first time I read that, I, I was reluctant. Uh, I understand querying a database. That's straightforward. I think for me, it may be uncomfortable to say I was going to take on the burden of making sure that I could expose this stream of changes directly to myself. It was almost as if I would rather have hidden all that away into the database and not have to deal with it. But when you start to accept the kind of benefits that you get from doing it, the story gets a lot better. right? Because now you can set up that stream of changes completely custom to your, to, your, uh, to your processor. You can optimize it in a way that uses some sort of uh, data structure that is very relevant to your processing technique. We don't have to worry about doing network round trips because now that stream of data is going to live side by side by the other stream of data that you're processing. Essentially, what we're going to get is this pre-computed cache. Right? We don't have to worry about cache invalidation. We don't have to worry about contending with other processors. All of that data is going to live locally. So just to kind of illustrate a little bit more, right, we have these two streams of data. We have flow logs, and we have the stream of metadata changes. Both of these are happening in parallel. But in our processor, we can use something simple like a hash table. And given some IP address, we can keep a list of all the changes that happen to it over time. We didn't have to turn to some sort of exotic data structure like a radix tree, a prefix tree. Just something like a simple map so that when we're processing the data, we don't actually have to go out to some remote database and query for this remote, uh, this metadata application. So every time we want to look it up, we can just go through this map. And any time we receive an update, we can update that same data structure. This is key to understanding how to do something like change data capture for your application. So I guess going back to how this might work in some other domain, right? These keys could be, say, uh, I don't know, um, account identifiers. And uh, the list of uh, values could be all transactions, right? Or it could be uh, based on some sensor ID 
and then the values can all be uh, different environmental readings. Something like that could work. So let's take, and take that change data, change data capture approach and apply it to our architecture. Things get much simpler. So now we have the stream processor that's consuming both flow logs and the stream of metadata change events. There's no database, there's no cache, no materialized views. Everything just lives within this stream processor. Right? And anytime we're processing the data, all we have to do is refer to this uh, pre-optimized computed cache. This is a huge win, because now we don't have to worry about bridging that gap that I talked to you about. Right? We don't have to worry about the volume of stream, uh, streaming information on the event side. And we don't have to worry about making sure that everything is in sync when it comes to joining it with that remote database. So you'll notice in this architecture that it has both Kinesis and Kafka. And the reason why that is is because of the limitation that I had mentioned earlier. Since Kinesis isn't able to have a longer retention period, we have to turn to something like uh, Kafka so that we can use something like log compaction. Then we can keep the entire history of all changes to an IP, all, all IP addresses. This is key if your change log stream is much longer than Kinesis' retention period. All right, so we talked a lot about networking, talked a lot about stream processing. After we were able to handle all this large volume of data, process it, analyze it with the stream processor, what do we have? So we're able to be able to analyze more than 7 million network flows per second. On average, a flow can happen in our system, and we've analyzed it and sent it along to its final destination in about five minutes. And there's only a single Kinesis stream with a several hundred shards. And that scales up and down uh, based on the volume. One of the biggest outputs that we were able to produce from going through this process is give our power users some sort of exploratory UI so that they can dig into the data set themselves. This is a demonstration of how uh, this tool called uh, Pivot, uh, it was open sourced by Yahoo called Swiv. It was built by the folks that built uh, a data store called uh, Druid, which is column oriented. And what you can see is on the left, there are multiple dimensions, things like account, uh, application, load balancer name, both foreign and local. And you can see how easy it is for someone who doesn't necessarily know anything about the network topology, how traffic flows through the system, to query data in terms of to be able to understand, say, given a particular service, who does it talk to or who talks to it? And how does that change over time? And what if I want to zoom in to, say, a particular uh, range of hours? Am I able to understand how traffic patterns have changed? And this doesn't mention anything at all about IP addresses, VPCs, or subnets if you don't actually care about that. Right? This gets down to making sure that we expose this data set in such a way that it can be consumed and understood by app developers and systems engineers. So this has been a bit of a huge win for us to be able to understand traffic patterns within our system at a very high level. So let's go back to some of those questions that we faced a little bit earlier. Ah, 
What's wrong with the network? So in the network uh, world, uh, they have this term called mean time to innocence, which basically just means how quickly can we absolve the network of blame, right? It's somebody else's fault. And we can use Dredge's data set to help us try to understand that, right? If we're, now that we know traffic is going from, say, a particular account or zone in a, a given region, we can start to understand and group things into what we call fault domains, right? They all share maybe the same characteristics. So if service A is talking to service D and they can't communicate, was that a bad code push? Right? Or is it a whole network outage because everything within that shared fault domain also has the same uh, problem with connectivity? And this could be a boon for something like uh, site reliability, right? where you can quickly isolate, hey, is this a problem with a specific application? Or are we actually having some sort of like system level outage? Getting be able to, being able to reduce the scope of what you're investigating quickly is really what we want to try to uh, enable here. Oh, and that other question, why is the network so slow? Well, now we have this data set that can tell us, given a specific application, are you communicating over a network path that has high latency, say between two disparate regions? Because when you're communicating, say, between the same uh, zone, you can expect traffic time, uh, round trip times to be less than a millisecond on the order of microseconds. But if you're going to be going between zones, that may balloon up to two milliseconds. Maybe that doesn't make a difference for your applications, but for latency-sensitive uh, operations, that could. But what happens when you actually end up doing cross-region. That's problematic. It could be several hundred milliseconds for round trip times. Right, now we're gonna have what is perceived as slowness. And even if you don't directly communicate with something that is uh, cross-region, what happens when you're communicating with another service that's communicating cross-region? Right, that's completely hidden to you as, the, as say if you were service A. But now we have this data set that can tell us who is actually impacted by these high latency network paths. What we found initially is that at almost a quarter of our traffic was doing cross-zone um, communication. So essentially, a whole quarter of our traffic, we are in already adding a, a latency penalty by default, just by going between zones. About 14% ends up doing cross-region, some of it intentional, some of it not. Uh, I won't name any culprits here. <clears throat> and then we have this more interesting and harder question to solve. My service can't connect to its dependencies. Well, now Dredge is sort of understanding all network traffic within a VPC. So we can understand who is talking to who and when and how, by how much. I want to just do a quick uh, background um, and give you a little bit of sense of how we do that today. Internally, we have a tool called SALT. It does distributed tracing, which is very similar to Google Dapper. And it does this sort of naive sampling, but it's very JVM-centric. And this helps us understand, given a request, what other services does it touch along the way as it makes its way through the request tree? 
This is great. For the, mo for the most part, it's very, very accurate and highly usable, but it lacks in things like coverage. If it's not JVM, say if it's a Python application or a Node app, is it going to be covered by SELP? If not, how much more work do we need to be able to increase that coverage? Essentially, we're relying on service developers to instrument these calls. And if they miss it, now we have complete blindness in terms of that communication path if we're just relying on distributed tracing. So compared to tracing, how does Dredge do? Right? Initially, say, given a, a tracing output of, say, service A, we know that it might talk to a Cassandra cluster and maybe a memcached D cluster. But when we start using traffic logs, now we understand that actually it's talking to quite a bit more. It's talking to a discovery service, talking to a Kafka cluster, it's talking to S3, SQS. There's no other way to make sure that we have a high level of coverage when we try to build these large dependency graphs. Everybody's systems are changing so fast that dependencies get introduced daily. And what we found is that there is a consistent level of discrepancy between Dredge and SELP. Unsurprisingly, right? Because now we're not relying on uh, some proactive instrumentation of a call between, say, service A and service B. We're just going to figure it out based on what we see on the network. As my colleagues like to say, the network doesn't lie. At the same time, we're able to increase the kind of consistency. Right? And, and now we have this higher level of coverage. Some other use cases that have been really interesting is Netflix is built on a, a principle called freedom and responsibility. And that sort of has opened up the gates for application developers and infrastructure owners to be able to set up these security groups and control access between services. In a lot of cases, these things are maybe too open or, and too permissive. So it could be the case that, say, an instance ends up getting compromised, and now the blast radius for that communication is much bigger than it needs to be. VPT flow logs is very unique in that it's the only source of data provided by AWS that can tell you whether or not a flow was rejected based on security group rules. There's nothing else out there. And flow logs can actually tell you which instances are communicating with the public internet. Very helpful for our security-centric folks. Now we can do things like, say, threat detection and port scanning. And we can understand what kind of resources are being exposed that could be risky. So what are we going to do next? For a lot of folks, they might consider network-level traffic like this being very low-level. I would say probably from the network perspective, that's very high-level. Uh, we consider like this 10,000-foot view, a very macro, macro high-level view. We want to get much deeper. We want to understand what's happening in the kernel, maybe write some EPBF tools so that we can understand how, say, the inner workings of the TCP stack are working. And then we can sample using dynamic uh, rates. And this sort of helps us find a way to like, minimize variability because when we're processing Kinesis streams and, and VPC flow logs, all of that flows are all being globbed into a single stream. So all our processors are, are processing uneven amounts of data. We might be able to eliminate that sort of variability, make things much more consistent. 
just to wrap up, what we found is that even though it took a lot of effort and the country through a lot of data, if we enrich and aggregate these network traffic logs, we can build this very useful data set that can tell us a lot about our systems that we didn't know about. Helps us on the visibility side. Kinesis streams and firehose are perfect if you want to be able to experiment using either batch or stream-oriented processes. It really helps us focus on the problem that we're trying to solve, right? which is not pushing bits through some sort of data stream. It's extracting value from that data. And when you use this sort of change data capture approach, even though it can be scary at first, by consuming and joining streams, you alleviate some of the problems uh, that can come up by doing something, by communicating with something remote. Then you can have this sort of read optimized data structure and process your data more efficiently. And that's it. Here's my uh, contact information. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, we probably won't be doing some Q&A here, but I'll hang out by the podium for a bit and maybe meet you guys outside in the hallway. Thank you very much.